so Chrissy printed out notes. She does this all the time for us. And if, if she did it the way that I sent it, it looks like it's like, what? This is a lot. Because usually I have like three or four observations, and now it's got like 15, maybe 13. I grouped a couple to make it look less. But I just want to let you guys know, um, there's five major points I want to see, and 10 of those are like subpoints to one of the big points, okay? So when we start getting to the parts about God, that's all kind of coming under one point. Uh, so, so we're going we're gonna to kind of, it's going to be like boom point, boom point, boom point, and then like firecracker kind of point. Like boom, brrr, okay? And then we'll finish, and we'll be pow, all right? Okay, just to give you that disclaimer, if you're looking at the notes and you're like, oh my gosh, holy moly. Let's, let's get into this. All right, so we are in Athens. Um, last week we saw that he was walking around the city, making observations, spirit was getting provoked. It's a bunch of people. Imagine yourself maybe at the mall or a carnival. Carnival is better. Imagine yourself at a carnival, and you're looking at the carnival, and it's one of those just like, it's, it's just immoral, just like wickedness everywhere you turn. Tons of people at this carnival. And then you start to get kind of provoked. You're kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't stand this. They're worshiping the wrong God. God needs glory, right? We saw that last week. A witness has passion for the glory of God and compassion for the lost. And then let's say something happened where you got your raffle ticket, got selected, and they threw you up on the stage. And then everyone at the carnival goes, speech! And you got the floor. All those people that you were looking at and was just provoked in your heart for, all eyes and ears on you. Imagine that moment. Now, what would you say? All right, that's pretty nuts, pretty breathtaking, right? Almost like, I hope that would never happen to me, right? But this is what happened to Paul, and this is the beginning of what he said. So let's pick it up at verse 19. So they took him, brought him to Areopagus. I don't know if I said that right. Dilly maybe said it better. Um, it is Mars Hill. It's a little rocky hill above the highest temple in that town. It's where they would do, um, they would have court. It's a lot of times where people would be invited to speak upon a, a divinity. And a lot of the talks on this hill were long, okay, like two, three hours long. So we know how long Paul went, but he is in a very prominent hill right now. And he's got the floor, he's got the mic to all these unchurched non-believers, -believer, and that's where he is. So they bring him up there, and, 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 and then he says, oh, they say, maybe know what this new teaching, notice that, okay, new teaching, they never heard anything like this before, that you're presenting, verse 20, you bring some strange things to our ears, strange. The Greek word for strange is entertaining. So, You've been talking down in the marketplace, and we've been catching wind of what you're saying. It's kind of intriguing. Hey, let's get this guy on the hill. They get him up on the hill. They get the play, and they be like, hey, tell us more. Like, what are you talking about? We're kind of interested. We wish to know. You start to read this, and you're kind of like, oh, this is cool. God's at work, yeah? Um, and he is. Therefore, what these things mean. Like, okay, what are you talking about, Paul? Now, all the Athenians. Now, look at what Luke says. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, all the locals of this town, would spend their time in nothing except telling, talking, or hearing something new. You catch that? This is the audience. They're saying we're interested because this is what they do. 
Remember last week I said social media would have blew up in this town? They're all about the newest and latest and greatest headlines. They are a very, very trendy people. They love to just have an intellectual buzz on a new idea. This is all they do. Talk and hear. Talk and hear. Talk, 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 talk. Listen, listen, listen. That's it. Blog, blog, blog. Post, post, post. Comment, comment, comment. That's all they love to do. They do it all day, every day. That's this type of community. Sound familiar? Point number one, Paul's witnessing to a people who are into trends more than truth. I want to show that they're into this. They're into, they're, I don't think they're so much interested in the truth of what he's going to say. I think they're just interested because it's new. That's my, that's my opinion on these people. This is why I think Luke brings that verse out and says, okay, I'm just letting you guys know, this is what they do in Athens. They just talk and they just listen. We are called to be the pillar and buttress of truth. And Paul's about to bring truth to this trendy town. And this is exciting because I do believe, and I believe this, we're all living in such a town. Honolulu is very much like Athens, guys. So, so really listen carefully now. Luke is revealing to us another type of hearer. Back in Thessalonica, a lot of people trampled the gospel. Berea, a lot of people trusted it, right? They were very noble. In Athens, they're treating it very trendy. There's going to be a day, Paul says to young Timothy, where people will not endure sound teaching. They're not going to want sound, in-depth Bible study. They're just going to want something new and trendy and cool and hip. They wanted someone hip up on the hill, not necessarily holy. They wanted a new, exciting trend, not really true. This is the type of itching ears that they wanted. This is how I believe Athens is. And Paul warns young Timothy that there's going to be a time where there's going to be a lot of places like this. And he tells Timmy, stay sober, stay focused, and preach the word. I caution, before we move on to the next point, I caution us because I caution us being such a hearer. Like, do we just hear? Like, even tonight, like, even, like, like, do we just tweak off of podcasts and favorite sermons by our favorite speakers that we just love to hear, 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 hear? James, Uncle James, the Apostle James, James chapter 1, says, don't merely, don't just hear. And then don't just talk. Cammy's reading Pilgrim's Progress, right? Mr. Talkative. Just talk, 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 talk about anything. But all he wants to do is talk. I just want to caution us because I think oftentimes we are just like this Athenian town. We just like to hear good. We just want, we're content with just another good talk. Oh, good word, pastor. Whew. That one moved me. Like, what do, you, what do we intend to do with our notes? Like, really? Are we just hearers and talkers? Because Athens was that. And I preach to myself, guys. I struggle with that a lot. I can get so consumed in just hearing, 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 talking, 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 hear doctrine, talk doctrine, and that's it. Like, I'm, I pray that none of us here would be content to just talk of God. If you're content to just talk of God and not walk with Him, I pity that. I pity you. 
I pity myself if that's my goal. Paul is about to bring not a new gospel, but he's about to bring truth to this town who's only used to hearing and talking. And I just want to suggest if any of us in the house are resonating more with the Athenians, that tonight we repent and say, Lord, please deliver me from just merely hearing the word. Like when you have your devotions, when you come to sermons and studies and Sundays and Wednesdays and, and, and these things, like, um, right, Esther, we're going through Esther, uh, no, Ruth, we're going through Ruth. Like, has, has Sunday's message in that transformed our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday yet? Like this is a, James says, don't merely listen. You're going to deceive yourselves. Don't trick yourself into thinking you're getting deeper in God's word by just listening to it. Don't deceive yourself, Chris, by just studying books. Don't study books more than you study yourself, Chris. Be careful. Nuwanu, be careful. We don't want to just be hearers and talkers. But anyway, this is who Paul is witnessing to such a people. Now let's keep going and see how he engages with these people. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Now notice he's feeling verse 16. He's provoked. He's heated up. And he says, men of Athens, not hey, idolaters. You know, he was like, hey, everybody who's going to hell. He doesn't say, he says, men of Athens, respectfully. I perceive you're, you're very religious. You see what he's doing right off the bat? A witness uses gracious speech, seasoned with salt. Where do I get that? Colossians chapter 4, Paul, when asking the church to pray for him and how he evangelizes. He says in verse 3, pray that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Verse 4, that I make it clear and know how I ought to speak. Pray this for Chris. Pray this for Trevor. Pray this for Irene. Pray this for yourselves and your brothers and sisters this week. Lord, help us to know how we ought to speak to outsiders. How we ought to speak. And he says, and walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time let your speech always, always, always be gracious. Paul is very gracious with his first words to this town. Righteous indignation is not a license to lash out at people. Paul is very angry with what he sees in this town because God's not getting glory and people are going to hell. But that's not a license for him to get his Bible out and start bashing their idols. Remember last week, he didn't get a sledgehammer at the city mill and start breaking down their altars. He didn't do that. He reasoned with people. He conversed. He hung out. He talked story. And now he's preaching and he says, with such grace, men of Athens, I perceive you're, 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 you're devout people. You're into religious stuff. Seasoned with salt. I like that Paul says that in Colossians 4. He says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned. Season it. Season your words with salt. Isn't that cool? Not the kind salty local people. 
Don't be salty like that. Be salty, but salty in that, what does salt do? It's a preservative. It's a healing remedy. It's a purifier. It also produces thirst. Does your words, when you talk to people that have nothing to do with God or maybe have no interest at all, when you talk to them, is it words of life? Is it seasoned in such a way it produces this thirst where I won't keep talking to you? Ask the Lord, pray, 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 pray. I need the spirit of the living God to give me the wisdom and how to use my words. And I imagine Paul on the way up to the hill just taking his spot, just praying in his heart. Spirit of God, give me the words. Men of Athens, doesn't even introduce himself. Men of Athens, I perceive this. You're very religious people. I'm thinking that moment, the people in the house, yeah, you're right. Look at all our gods, you know. But he's, he's just engaging. Graciously, seasoned with salt. Just because we have a passion for the glory of God, that doesn't give us license to speak the truth unlovingly. Let this sit in first, because I do think a lot of us here are full of truth and full of words that we would love to share. It's just I think a lot of us here, maybe, maybe if you're like me, you struggle with the way to say it. You speak truth, but not so much in love. If he were to get up on the stage and say, hey, all you idolaters who worship fake little gods, is there truth in what he's saying? Yeah, he's ab that's absolutely right, but is that the way to do it? No. Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. Let's keep going. Verse 23, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I love that my sister pointed it out. She's like, you know, he's passing along and he, he's, he's making observations. And then he, he found also an altar with this inscription. And this is the inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship has, it's unknown. And I imagine Paul walking through the town and he's seeing all these different altars. And then he sees that one and he's like, ooh, yes, perfect. Why would that be perfect? Why didn't he talk about another altar? Why did he pick that one? Come on, witnesses. Because he knows the true and living God. I see that bridge. I see that's a point of contact. I'm going to take that. See, what we see now is a witness finds a point of contact to connect with the people he's witnessing to. A witness finds a point of contact. If you care about souls, if you care about people outside of uh, next to you, and they don't know Jesus, what you're doing as a witness this week is you're praying and, just, and asking God, give me a bridge. Like, give me some sort of connection with this person, with that person. My dogs have been an amazing point of contact for me in the past three years. There's dog people everywhere in Hawaii, especially pit bulls. Oh, oh uncle, so beautiful, your dog. Yeah, bro, thanks, huh? You know, like, oh, so can I pet your dogs? Like, everyone just wants to pet the dogs, you know? But it's a point of contact. You go surfing. Creation. It's a point of contact. You love coffee. Same barista all the time. Point of contact. See, what Paul is doing is he's, he's touching down into the community now. In his conversation, he addresses them with grace and, and, and seasons his word with salt. And now he's going to start to, he's going to talk about something that's at home. And notice, you have this altar up in town. It's to an unknown God. Beautiful. 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. I do all for the sake of the gospel. 
Now keep this in mind before we move on. He finds the bridge that he can connect with these people, and he does intend to cross it. What I mean by that is I am guilty of making so much connections with people. Just being a socialite. Just being Mr. Aloha. And now I have all these bridges and contact points, but I never cross the bridge. I don't get over the bridge to, to, to connect them to Christ. I just, okay, bro. And that, that kills me. Spirit of God kills me. And I pray that he keep pressing his hand down because that's not why I live there. That's not why I'm here. That's not just why. If you start to see this in the text, that God is sovereignly sending you places to be a bridge, a, a touching point for someone that might hear the gospel and believe. Do you see it like that? Then when God gives us a point of contact, when God gives us a bridge, please intend to cross it. Did you take the dare I dared you last week? I dared you. I dared you to pray for one name and pray that God would just move you with compassion. Just let me care. Just let me care. If you didn't take the dare, do it this week. And, um, but now the second part of the dare is point of contact. Just, just look for something. Search for something in your conversations. Find something you have in common. Use the Super Bowl. Or if it's too late, then you find another touch, touching point. Find a point of contact. Build a bridge cross it. Now, you ready? Fireworks. He's going to cross the bridge. This, the, the, it's, it's set up. It's teed up. They're listening to him. I'm addressing you with respect. And I notice in, the, in, in your town there's this altar that talks about an unknown God. You're worshiping something you don't really know. Alright? So, what's Paul going to do? It says, I proclaim to you God. Pause before we move on. A witness proclaims God. I want to linger here just because I think it's tempting to say we're witnessing and we proclaim ourselves. We just talk about ourselves. We share our testimony. We talk so much about us and our experiences, but very little about actually telling them about God. For the rest of these verses, Paul talks about one man, one person, God. These next six, seven verses, it's filled with the character and the attributes and the nature of God. He goes off on God. They don't know God. And he knows that to his core. So he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something good, man. You ready? You guys are worshiping an unknown God? Get ready. I proclaim to you God. That we need to hear, church. He's not proclaiming Paul. His ministry isn't out to build a name for himself. Is he is greater than I, just a cute sticker that you wear on your whatever, a cute shirt? Because Paul believes that with all his heart. He must increase, I must decrease. This isn't about Paul time on the hill. And I fear that myself, our church, any of us here would dare to call ourselves witnesses and do evangelism, but if we don't check ourselves, if we don't repent, ask for the Spirit of God to search us, we might without realizing it, be proclaiming me. Be proclaiming us. It's about God plus. Examine yourselves. When you're witnessing to someone, do you enjoy more talking about you and God or just God? Like, think. Just think. Are you more excited to get to the point of you or the point of God? 
That's just, I just leave that with you. A witness proclaims God. Now the rest, we're going to see what he says about God. Let's go. You ready? Fireworks. God, who made the world and everything in it? God is creator. First hear it for yourself, then hear it as a witness to tell others. But think about that. I don't know how often we think about that, but that's so fundamental, right? Children's catechism. Who made you? What else did he make? Yes, the world and everything in it, right? Like, and I love that. That's where we start. This is the foundation. This is the fundamentals. This is the beginning of our worldview. God made it all. That's why we named our son Blue. Color the heavens, depths of the ocean. We just want him to just see the general revelation, general revelation of God. And just wonder. I love stargazing recently. Out in our yard, we just light out, look at the stars. It's moon, you know? That's how he says it. It's moon, you know? Um, and, and he just loves it. And, and we're just trying to tell him who made the stars. Surfers, who made the ocean? You woke up in the morning, you saw the sun, you felt its, its heat. Who made it all? But be struck by this. God created everyone and everything. He made it all. And so when it's broken, who can fix it? That's right. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God starts the Bible like that. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing, without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, by Him all things were created, visible, invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. Listen up, Athens. God is your maker. And I know that pushes back against your philosophies, but just letting you know. He made everyone and everything. Psalm 19, I'm going to read this, then we'll move on, because I said fireworks. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day, it pours forth speech. Night to night, it reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through, the, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. All of creation, all of creation. The world is His theater. All of creation is declaring the glory of God. Do you see it? Do you hear it? We live in Hawaii. Get out there and just be, oh. God is creator. Let's keep going. Being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man. Now, where are there temples made by man? Athens, a lot of them. Nor is he served by human hands. Although, oh, as though he needed anything. You see that? All your Athens, all your temples right now with those little images and gods that you have, gods that you have there. I'm just telling you guys, no one's home. No one lives there. No one's home. They're not. And they need you. If you don't fill the, if you don't put the food out there next week, who's going to do it? See, see the God, the true and living God. He don't need nothing and no one. He made it all. Here's the thing: He, God, is Creator, and He's self-sufficient. He's self sufficient. God is self-sufficient. He don't need you. That's a truth that needs to hit home. God doesn't need us. That's very refreshing to me. That's so good for me to hear. I worship a God who doesn't need it. He's not needy, but we are. Amen? He didn't create us because he's lonely. He was doing just fine. Him in all his glory. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's got everything. And the idols that they're worshiping are dependent on them. And Paul is breaking, so he's saying, God's the creator, God's self-sufficient. Let's keep going. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in it, he's creator, he's self-sufficient, and God is sustainer. He himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. You hear that? He gives you life. How old are you? You don't have to say it out loud, but that's all from God. Every minute, every hour, every day, every breath right now, everything. He gave that. You ever think about that? Colossians 1 says he holds all things together. It's, it's by his power. He's holding you together right now. Maybe there's a person here tonight and your world, your life feels as if it's falling apart. Hear this. He's the sustainer. He will carry you. He's been holding you together up until this very second. Don't think for a moment that he, couldn't, that, that, that he can't hold on to you anymore. Let me give you some verses and we'll move on. Psalm 55, verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord. He'll sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. Isaiah 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. To the gray hairs, I'll carry you. I've made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. Our God is the sustaining God. He gives us life and breath. One of the questions I ask myself every day in my prayer time is, where is it? (laughs) Are you living in light of his Return. Will you make every effort, every breath to preach, teach, live out the gospel? Will you glad? Like, I have questions that remind me that I might die tonight and this will all be over. He's sustaining. I have a time period on my existence and he's sustaining me thus far. I want to be very aware that he's in control of that and he's giving me whatever, whatever it is I got. Do you know this about God? Have you thought of it? Do you marvel at it? He's holding us together. Verse 26, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. God is creator. God is um, a sustainer. God is self-sufficient. And God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all creation and every nation. You see that? He made every nation. That's dope. Every tribe, tongue, every ethnicity. That's just, just, just showing the creativity of our God. He made it all. I love the diversity of our church. And he made all of our cultures. It's beautiful. Every nation. All creation in every nation. Look at it. It says he has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling. Every period. He's in control of every time, every season of your life, every setting you live in. Some of us here won't be here for much long. Some of us here are going to leave in a couple days, right? Some of us here are going to leave in some months. Those of you who are traveling, those of you who are going away. Some of us, we might be here for another 10 years. We don't know, but he knows. And he's governing all that. He rules it all. He's orchestrating your very life 
to this point. He knew who you'd be sitting next to, who's behind and front. He knew it all. He knew when we'd meet. I see, that's so cute. I see some, you know. It's amazing, though. This is why this, this passage has really transformed my days because when I meet someone, I don't think it's a chance, by chance. When I bump into someone and they start talking to me, I, don't, I think that's sovereignly set up. Why? Because God is sovereign over all creation, every nation. See, Paul wants these Athenians to be aware of this. God is in control, total control, Athens. Are we aware? Follow the flow, though, of what he's doing. So he's saying, God made you, not because he needs you. And out of his grace, he's sustaining you. He's giving you life. And he's sustaining you for a purpose, for a reason. I have a sovereign plan for you, Athens. See the flow of what he's doing? He made you. Not because he needs you. He's sustaining you for a sovereign purpose. Well, what's the purpose, Paul? We read on. Verse 27. That they should seek God. I love that. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. It's a, it's a word and a verbiage of a blind person groping because they can't see. Feeling their way. I perceive that you're very religious. Blind and just looking for something and someone. You should seek God and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. God is to be sought and God is near. God is to be sought. Does he not tell us, seek, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Our God is a God to be sought after. And he's a God who is near. This pushes back against these Epicureans and these Stoics who believe that God is distant, detached, Hinokia. And he's telling these people, oh, he's near. And he wants you. The problem is no one seeks God, right? Romans 3. That's the problem. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. Not even one. No one in this town has sought after God. And I would stand on the hill being Paul saying, and I didn't seek God. I was killing his people. But what happened to this man? God pursued him. God found him. Knocked him off his horse. Saul, why are you persecuting me? No man comes to the Father unless God draws him. If you are here because you're seeking God tonight, you desire him, you want him, you're in that book because you're obsessed with him. You want to know your maker and who he is and how to be with him. If you have anything like that stirring up in your soul, I want you to marvel at that because that's a miracle. That is a miracle. That is a work of the living God. How did that happen? How did you come to this place? I, I know your, a lot of your testimonies. And we're all, we sit there just like, wow. Can't believe we're even into this stuff. Can't believe we're now seeking God. Well, we love because He first loved us. God is to be sought, and God is near, and all of this is a work of God. Philippians two thirteen. It is God who works it in a man to will and to work for His good pleasure. Let's keep going. Verse. 28 it says in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your poets have said and are indeed his offspring being the God's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of imagination of man 
You see where he's going with this? He's even, I love, this is part of the seasoning. He's quoting some of their poets. Poets that were speaking to things like being near God and the image of God. We're, made, we're his offspring. There's a connection there. And he's going to run with that to tell them God made us in his image and likeness. That's Genesis, right? He's trying to make this argument. Guys, God, this God I'm talking about, he's real. He's alive. And he made you and I in his image and his likeness. God is not a figment of our imagination. You don't just make up your God. But we live in, t- in days, and these are days when people did that. They made up their gods. They created their God. They fashioned their God and worshipped it. We're not far from these Athenians. God made us in his image and likeness. Verse 30. Okay, get ready. Because Paul has been building up into this point. Now here it comes. He's been telling them about the nature of God. Creator, self-sufficient, sustainer, sovereign. He made you in his image and likeness. It's all building up. And here we go. He says, verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. Times of ignorance. Matthew 7, they did not, uh, away from me, I never knew you. He says, workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness in the Greek is ignorance. You do not know the law. You do not know God. You do not know me. In other words, that's wicked. This is sin. He's indicting them of sin right here. Ignorance is not bliss. Brothers and sisters, it's not bliss. If you run the red light, you cannot tell the officer, I never see. Oh, you never see, brother. All good cause. Keep on. He's not going to do that. Ignorance is not bliss. A consequence will happen. He says, the times of ignorance, God's overlooking. His mercy, his compassion, his patience, though you did not know him, and you worship this unknown God. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Not might, not might. He will. Brothers, sisters, there is a judgment day. And God is judge. He will judge the world in righteousness. When we witness, we must not shy away from speaking of the judgment of God. God is judge and calls people to repent. God is judge and calls people to repent. Paul doesn't just say the judge is coming. He calls them to repentance. He warns them. Why? He loves them. He cares about this town. When you're sitting with your friend that you're witnessing to, and you use all the gracious speech and wisdom and winsomeness and, and season it with song, they're engaged, and they're following. They're interested. They're, they're, they're wanting to learn more about your awesome, loving God. And the time will come when you need to be frank and lovingly, with clarity, tell them of their sin and that they need to repent because they are under the wrath of God, if not. You gotta be, we gotta be clear. And Paul does this winsomely and boldly. God is judge and he calls people to repent, to repent, repentance. And then he says, by a man whom he has appointed. Who's that man, church? Yes, say that with joy. A man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So we saw God is judge. He calls people to repentance. God is Savior. He calls people to believe. He appointed Jesus. He gives them assurance. They can trust this. They can be confident in this. Why? Because he died and came back to life. He's getting to the resurrection. He's getting to Easter now. Look at the cross, Athens. Look. Look and be saved. 
1 Corinthians 15, he says this is first importance. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, all in accordance with the scripture. Athens, I think we can all be confident here tonight that every one of us here in Athens will die. We can be confident that all of us will die. But can you be confident that when you die, you'll rise? Because Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And everyone who believes in me, though you die, beloved, look at me. You and I will die one day. But you can have great assurance in Christ and his righteousness. And you trust in him. And you throw your whole life on him. That when you die, you will rise. This is not the end. This is where he's going. God is the judge. And he's a savior. He's just and the justifier. And he does it through the man, Jesus Christ. Do you have this assurance tonight? Let's finish. So when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, this pushes back against all their philosophies. Some mocked, and others said, we'll hear you about this again. Others tabled it. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, oh, among whom also were Dionysius and the, Arap the Aeropagite. He was a member of the council in Mars Hill, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. In closing, hear this. A witness is successful based upon his or her faithfulness, not necessarily their fruitfulness. And when I say fruitfulness, I mean results. He got laughed off the stage by many. Some believe. Luke gives us a nice little variety of what happened. If you're a witness and you're sharing the whole gospel, you're going to get all sorts of reactions. People want to talk more later. People are not going to want to talk at all. They'll scoff. They'll spit. And then others will believe. But in the moments when you're sharing faithfully with gentleness and meekness and love and wisdom and you are mocked or you're hated on or they're no longer your friend or I don't even want to say this because I'm not really into the lingo, but you get, maybe I won't say it then. I won't say it. <laughs> Everyone's like, don't say it, say it. Like canceled, is that right? Okay, yeah, okay. And you get canceled or whatever that is, okay? I'm trying to season my words with salt, right? Be, be a little bit relevant. No, no. Um, but when you live this life and share this gospel and you are pff, you're not a failure because that's not what makes success success we live in times where churches just want results they're so driven by results and fruit what makes a faithful what makes a successful witness is your faithful well done good and faithful servant so Let's go this week. I dare you. And be faithful. Be clear. Be moved with a passion for the glory of God and filled with compassion and share with clarity and come what may. If you are faithful, you are successful. And the Father in heaven say, well done. And, and I, I would encourage you to do this. Believe that the word you're sharing has the power to bear fruit. His word does not return empty. These people who said, we'll hear more some later, you don't know if they believe later. Even the people who mocked, 
You don't know if they believed later. Paul stood at Stephen's martyr, approving it. Nobody would have thought Saul would have been Paul. You never know. The first person I've ever given the gospel to hated my guts. And he just despised me. And he thought I was out to ruin his life and take his girlfriend. And he did not like why I was being so nice to him. And I did not know that he would eventually believe in Christ and be a good dear friend of mine. You just never know. So be faithful and go. Give the gospel. Give the whole gospel. Give the true gospel. He's worthy of it all. Time is it's just it's going. Even our children here, like, breathe this stuff in and realize, like, God in his goodness and providence is allowing you to hear these things and grab these things and believe these things at such a young age. And that's a gift from God, you know? It's a grace that you get to start at this particular time of your life. And all of us here, even if you're starting a little later, it's all from him. And, and so in closing, as, 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 as Paul leaves Athens, he's not leaving as a failure. He's not like, whoa, whoa, man, back in Thessalonica, maybe I should have waited for Timothy then. I would have had more results. No. He was faithful. He got up. He gave it. Mocked off the stage. But some believed. Some believed. All things to all men that some might believe. So pause. Think. Think of those who are in our midst. Maybe think of yourself if you don't really have an assurance of faith tonight. And come before the God, the creator of heaven and earth who made us all. He doesn't need us. He made us just out of his own glory, out of his own grace and goodness. And he's sustaining your life right now. He's sustaining the lives of those around us right now. All the names that you've been praying for, he's sustaining them. You, you see them tomorrow, he's sustaining them. But you may not see them the day after. God sovereignly placed us in their midst and around them. And he did this so that we would reach out for him and find him. He's not far from any one of us. So when we pray, let's pray in this way. Spirit of God, you are so much greater. Your, your ways, your thoughts are so much higher. And it's just a marvelous thing to, to realize that. To see that you are God and we are not. That you made us and you can fix us and that you are the solution and that we can now with confidence know you and make you known. So help all of us in the church, all of us in the house tonight, everyone who's hearing online, to believe that you've chosen them and you've saved them and you intend to send them. I pray that we would look at places and people differently now. I pray that we look at each other differently now in this place. So do your work. Do what only you can do. Keep breathing on us, breathing in us and through us. Guide us as we go and help us to enjoy you until you call us home or come to get us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen.